John chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 6 through 10 first. And it says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. As, as we look at this, after, after describing Jesus as the Word, the Word being God, uh, last week we see the writer turns uh, the attention towards a man called John. We know him as John the Baptist. Now, this John here, John the Baptist, he isn't the author of this gospel. The author, the Apostle John, um, never refers to himself by his name in the book. Uh, so when we see the name John, almost every time it's John the Baptist, although there's about four different uh, specific situations where it references Peter's father, who's also named John. But we see John the Baptist appears on the scene to relay a message from God about Jesus. He had been divinely appointed as the one who fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah's forerunner. Isaiah predicted him in Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 3, hundreds of years earlier. It says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The Old Testament closes with Malachi's prophecy of the Elijah-like prophet to come before the day of the Lord. We see this in Malachi 3.1 and Malachi 4, 5 and 6 where it talks about this. And, and the angel of the Lord actually alludes to this uh, when in Luke chapter 1 he comes and Zechariah, who's a priest, uh, and his wife Elizabeth, the angel of the Lord appears and says, Hey, I know that, that, that you may think this is impossible, but not so with God, and you're going to have this child and he speaks about the child and this is what he says in Luke chapter 117 and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared so John he is uniquely sent by God his conception and birth they were miraculous Elizabeth uh, and Zechariah they were considered uh, too old they were way beyond years that they would that they would consider you can have kids uh, she's called barren uh, and, and and we actually read in Luke chapter 136 where an angel uh, where Gabriel is talking to Mary um, and telling her how she is going to be the mother of the Messiah and she's like, how is this possible? And the angel then uh, tells her about her uh, relative Elizabeth and describes the, that same power uh, in Elizabeth becoming pregnant because it was considered an impossibility for Elizabeth. In Luke chapter 1, 30, 36, uh, it says, And behold, and this angel, this is Gabriel talking to Mary, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So John was sent at a divinely appointed time to begin his public ministry. Like, like there's no accidents or coincidences when, when he's placed at this specific time for that divine mission that God had called him to. Listen, um, 
you have a divine mission and purpose given to you by God, and, and, and you being alive, the job you have, the family you have, the circumstances, even the drama right now, God has placed you in this role for such a time as this. It's divinely appointed. It wasn't random. It wasn't just like, oh, how did this happen? This isn't how it's supposed to be. No, uh, God in his sovereignty has gifted us with these divine purposes. That's exciting. When you wake up, there's purpose. And we see this with John the Baptist, and he has an enormous impact. We read about that in Mark chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So he is having a huge impact on the whole region. People are all coming out to the desert. They weren't coming to like venue 252. They were going out to the desert. To see this guy, to listen, to hear um, his words. And what was he saying? What, what were the words that were coming out of his mouth? Well, we see in Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it says this. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So people are all coming out to hear this. And what is he doing? What is the mission? What is the message? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. But we see, even though he's preaching and pointing to Jesus, groups of, of people stirred with excitement, devoted themselves to be followers of John, even to the point where they were followers of John instead of Jesus. And they missed who John was actually trying to point and direct them to. Years later, Paul, when he goes into Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, he meets people who are followers still of John the Baptist. And we see that even when this, um, this gospel is written, there's groups of John the Baptist loyalists who were, who were still around. And, and so as John, the author, is writing this, it's important for him to emphasize John the Baptist's inferiority to Jesus. And here's why this is so important for us to remember. We have to remind ourselves the danger of elevating a messenger over the message. Okay, like, 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 and I would say right now it's critical because we, I, I hear people talk about, oh, this author, oh, this pocket, this person, this, that, and we literally, and to the point where, where we're talking all of a sudden more about this person than we are Jesus. We care more what they have to say than what God's word has to say. And it's so subtle. It's so easy. Um, and, and, and it happens so quickly. We got to guard our hearts. We got to guard ourselves from that. You guys, humans are flawed. Humans make mistakes. Uh, people change. And, 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 and as influential, as, as, as dialed in as some people are in proclaiming God's truth, do not substitute the person for the message. And we see John the Baptist, who was so clear in his purpose, we see even in that people become attracted to the messenger and they lose sight of the message. Guys, like we, we, we've got to remind ourselves of that. We've got to guard against that. People are going to let you down. And so, and so we have to be focused on the message. John's mission was not to exalt himself, but to be a witness about Jesus. 
People believe uh, in Jesus through the testimony of witnesses like John was. They are the agents of belief, but Christ is the object of our belief. And that's why John is even given the title witness. When you think about just the courtroom setting, uh, the witness goes in, uh, takes the stand, and the witness uh, is giving what? Uh, eyewitness accounts or, or, or what they've seen, what they heard, they're, they're sharing. And it's not opinion. It's got to be what? Fact-based. It's got to be truth. And so the witness is sharing this. And, and the jury, the jury is you and me. The jury is the audience. And we're going to base our opinion, our decision, based upon that eyewitness account, that testimony. And, and, the, and the fork in the road, the, the testimony is this. What are you going to do with Jesus? And just as John is bringing all his listeners to that place, he's pointing to Jesus, he's, he's paving the way, so I'm called to do that, you're called to do that. But even before that, we're called to make a decision. What are we going to do with Jesus? He was not witnessing about himself. He was witnessing about Jesus. He was testing to find about the light. Now, here's what's interesting. We've got to ask this question. I was asking this question as I read this. Why did John need to tell people about the light? Now, here's why I ask it. Why did he need to do that? Because Jesus was there. You guys, the light was already shining. So why in the world did John need to tell people about the light that was already lit? Uh, the author and teacher, A.W. Pink, he, he said this. He said, when the sun is shining in all its beauty, who are the ones unconscious of the fact? Who need to be told it is shining? The blind. How tragic, then, when we read that God sent John to bear witness of the light. How pathetic that there should be any need for this. How solemn the statement that men have to be told the light is now in their midst. What a revelation of man's fallen condition. Guys, this emphatically illustrates the world's blindness. See, just as we looked at last week in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, unbelievers are spiritually blind because as Paul wrote to uh, the Corinthians, he said this, uh, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So Jesus came as the light, but it says the world was blind and could not see it. He's there. He's already illuminated, but the world cannot see it. He who created the world was in the world. He was there, and yet the world did not recognize him. The world's blindness, it was, it was inexcusable. Jesus was the true light. He's there. Coming into the world, and it says, enlightening every person, the passage says, enlightening every man. Through God's sovereign power, he has planted the knowledge of who he is in people through general revelation, creation, 
through our conscience. Uh, he brings himself to light um, to, where, to where people, when they stand before him, we read in Romans uh, chapter 1 and 19 through 21, it talks about how when every single person stands before God, there's going to be nobody that is up there that has a justifiable excuse. There's going to be no one that's going to say, well, you never, you, uh, you never like made yourself known to me. You, I, I didn't know. Like no one's going to say that. Now we build up those situations in our heads. But there's nobody that's going to stand before him and say that. Why? Because he's made himself known and evident. He is just. So there is nothing unjust about him. So when we stand before him, we will give an account for our decision to receive and believe or not. And so, and so literally, it wasn't like, oh, I've got this light. No, it says to all men. John the Baptist illustrates what a proper witness of Jesus does. John is not the light himself, but what he can do is reflect the light of Christ. In fact, in John 5, 35, Jesus calls John a burning and shining lamp. John's life pointed others to the true light and burned as a testimony to the transforming power of Jesus. Jesus is the light and John merely reflected it. We look at verses 11 through 13, and it says this. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That Jesus came to his own place. Now, now this can mean in a general way uh, how he came to the world, right? It's his world. But in a specialized sense, what we see here is the Jewish nation. As shocking and tragic as the world's rejection of Christ is, John turned to the even greater tragedy of Israel's rejection. The Jews had waited through the centuries for the Messiah and the Savior to come. Like they had been literally from, 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 like from birth uh, to the tomb. They are told to look for, to anticipate. These are the signs you look forward to the Messiah that's going to come. This is ingrained in every Jewish child as they grow up. And they've been waiting and waiting. And yet when he did come, his own people did not receive him. God had chosen a special people for himself, the Jews. Throughout the Old Testament, God referred to the Jewish people as what? As my people. Despite their frequent rebellions against him, he continues to call them my people. He had made a covenant with them and promised the Messiah who would come and deliver them from their sins. When Jesus arrived, they were seeking their Messiah, but they rejected him. As he comes onto the scene, they're looking for the Messiah, but they choose to reject him. Just like their ancestors, the Israelites of Jesus' day rejected him despite the clear testimony of the Old Testament scriptures. They were spiritually ignorant. They were blinded. See, Jesus is the true light. He's the original. Every other light is a copy. But the Jews, they were content with the copies. 
See, they had Moses and the law, the the temple and the sacrifices, but they did not comprehend that these lights pointed to the true light who was the fulfillment, the completion of the Old Testament religion. Uh, They they literally had all of these other uh, lights, these good things that were designed to point people to the true light, and yet they became infatuated. Um, They fell in love and, 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 and they embraced these lights for what they were, but they totally missed that their purpose is to point to the true light. My wife and I were in Target this last week, and uh, with it raining and getting colder, uh, we found ourselves in the blanket section. And as we were in the blanket section, as you walk through the blanket section, you come to a place uh, where there are nightlights. Now, we just moved rooms for our our two oldest boys and put them in a separate room, and and we're sitting there, and I'm like, you know what? They don't have a nightlight. And, and, so, and so we just started looking at nightlights. I've never done that. And as we're looking at the nightlights, uh, one thing that's really clear is Yoda is dominating the world. In particular, baby Yoda. Uh, it's crazy. Everything is Yoda. So we're, we're looking, and, 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 and as, as we're, you know, playing around, because you can light them on and, and, and turn them off and just see, uh, you know, what kind of light they put out and everything, I, I looked at Lindsay, and, and I just said, man, they don't put out a lot of light. And then I said, and look, most of them have a 15-minute timer. Well, that's worthless. And she goes, well, why do you think we're getting a nightlight? And I went, oh, because the nightlight's purpose is not to illuminate the room. It's not to be the true source of light, right? The nightlight is just supposed to provide enough light so that you don't stub your toe. So that if you have to go to the bathroom, you can get up and go. So you know where you're going, right? Uh, Or to just help you be uh, at ease as you fall asleep. That's why there's a 15-minute timer. That nightlife was not designed to be illuminating the room all the time. Uh, You know, no, it wasn't. It it had a timer. It had a a distinct purpose to not be the main source of light. And and, and I started looking at that and, and having this moment in the store, in Target. Not that Target brings spiritual encounters, but it did for me that night. And... And I just started thinking about this in relation to this text. You guys, there's so many great things in our lives. There's so many great things. But everything that is great in your life outside of Jesus is just a nightlight. It really is. I love my my marriage. I love my wife, but she's a nightlight. I love my kids. They're nightlights. I, I love what I do. That's a nightlight. I love what God has blessed me with. Those are nightlights. Those are, I'm not demonizing those things at all. I'm not demonizing what God gives and blesses you with and, and, and your situation and that. You may be praising him for that. That's great. You just need to remember those are nightlights. He's the true light. You guys, when, when the nation of Israel rejected Jesus, they were in love with the nightlights. The law wasn't bad. Moses, you look at Moses' life. We love Moses. We're not sitting there going, oh, don't, don't agree with Moses. We're not, but, but, we, but hopefully we have a clear understanding that their design was to point to the true light. Guys, there's so many things that are gonna try and compete for the true light in your life and in your heart, and we have to battle to keep Jesus at the center. He is the source of light. Only he can rescue you. Only he can be that light that actually pierces the darkness that you're experiencing. None of these other things can. They're all just supplementary. No one else can bring you salvation. 
Jesus was rejected for the most part we read, but, but some turned and received him. Uh, chapter, or verse 12 says, the only way some were able to receive him was by believing in his name. When we receive Jesus by believing in him, we become, it says, children of God. Because of Jesus, we who deserve death are now brought into the family of God, made to share in God's inheritance as his children. We do not deserve that. I could never say I gave myself the right to be called a child of God. See, only Jesus could do that. Only Jesus had the authority to make that happen for us. Do you see why this, this decision is so important? Why John came on the scene? This decision as to, if I, will I receive Jesus? Because it completely redefines our lives. Our lives are radically altered by our position in the family of God. Uh, my freshman year of college, and I was in Southern California for college, and, and, and I remember, I don't, I don't know how many months in I was, but, but I just remember I started missing home. And, 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 I remember just like, man, I just need to go home. I just need to see home. And it's not even that home was like, oh, it's just the most amazing place in the world. It's just I had that, that feeling that, man, I just need to go home for a few days. I'm struggling. These things are happening. And I just, you know, for a lot of us, family or home, it just kind of represents peace a little bit or, or, or just it, it allows me to just kind of go, okay. Get, get myself right. And, and I remember in, I was like, man, I need to go home. And I told my coach that. And, and I told my parents, I just need to go home for a few days. So I went home, I remember, for a few days and just kind of got things right for myself. And then I went uh, back. But when, when you think about that and that mindset of, man, I just, I, I need that in my life. You guys, we don't have to fear the future because we're going to the Father's house. That's our destination. In spite of all of this, that's our destination, the Father's house. We don't have to be anxious about our 401k because we recognize that our inheritance is not in earthly banks. It's in the heavenly realm. And so I don't have to be consumed with that because I, because I know uh, that there is an eternal deposit, that, 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 that the influence, the, the success of my life is not predicated off of that. Because now I have a different hope, uh, a different expectation, and it's not of this world. Uh, we read about how someday as children of God, Matthew 13, 43 tells us, we will shine like the sun in our Father's kingdom. Man, that's awesome. It comes back to this decision of God to give new life. We can only be saved through the direct intervention of God, him intervening in our life. I am so thankful for that intervention. I remember that point. I remember that time so distinctly and knowing how helpless, how miserable I was and him seeing me and reaching to me in that state. And that's why we see uh, the power of grace uh, and, and what God has done for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then in 2 Thessalonians 2.13 it says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 
So we see God in his sovereign love bringing this grace, reaching down, extending that out to us who are undeserved of it. And and we see in verse 13, before the final phrase there, we see uh, listed three wrong reasons why people think that God saves them. And the first uh, is this. Some think that God saves them because of their racial or their ethnic background. In other words, my bloodline is going to save me. Listen, you, you, like, your parents may be children of God, followers of Jesus. That does not mean you are. You don't inherit that. Okay? And, and this is important for them to understand and know because in those days during this time, Jews were walking around going, I'm saved. I mean, because I'm Jewish. And so he's speaking to this. They thought, that they thought they were birthed into that, that that was their right. The second is some think God saves people because of their sincerity. The phrase, will of the flesh, it, it pictures in the original language, it pictures a man and woman coming together with great passion to conceive a child. Like how I said that. And no matter, the point is this, no matter how sincere or passionate you may be about spiritual things, that will not save you. You can be passionate, you can be sincere, you can be religious, all of these things, and still not be saved. We're in a very spiritual culture, and we can be very sincere and hopeful in that and still miss the point. The, the, we, we see the third is some think God saves people because of their effort or works. And the phrase will of man could be translated will of the husband. A husband and wife can carefully plan to have a child and their planning may pay off in nine months, but no one can plan their way into the family of God. When Lindsay and I decided we're going to have kids, we literally created a plan. And, and some of you are like, oh, we didn't have that opportunity. Well, we did. And, and we decided to create a plan. Now, the third one, there was no plan. But the first two, there was. And, and I remember as we walk through that and we go, this is our destination. This is where we're getting. And this is how we're going to arrive. Many times when people hear about Jesus, they go, okay, what is my goal? And how do I earn the right to measure up to that? One of the beauties of the gospel, you guys, is, is the, the reality that you could never measure up. There's not enough good you can do. But we think, if I just prove myself in this way, then he'll accept me. You're missing the whole point of grace if you think that way. Guys, the invitation is free. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Like, like there, if you say, I want to receive Jesus today, we're not going to say, hey, okay, you got to run around the block in five minutes, twice. Then you'll get in. you got to come back next week and have memorized these verses. And if you can't memorize them, you're no good yet. That's not the point. That's not, but, but in us, there is that desire to, to measure up, right? Like we want to prove that we're worthy of it and that. And Jesus says, I did all of this in spite of you. That's grace. And we, we literally, we, we struggle with this because it detracts from our efforts. But that's exactly the point. It humbles us. There's no way when I receive the gospel that I can say I had something significant to do with this. There's no way I can say, God, you got me, now let's do this. No, it humbles me completely because like no other time I'm confronted with the reality that I don't deserve this. I just don't deserve it. 
Why, how could he love me like this? He knows that. He knows I thought that. He knows I said that. He knows I was a part of that. How in the world can he just give this and make this available to me? How can he rescue me like this? See, this, this, this elevates God and it humbles us. Everything that's happened to any Christian that's, that's of any good, especially salvation, it's directly attributed to the work of God in them. My... Uh, my older brother, who I'm really close with, I have two brothers, and uh, they're both pastors, kind of like the mob. We just, we all do it. And my, my oldest brother, um, gosh, I don't know how many years ago this was, but I, I remember it like it was yesterday. There, he and his wife, her family, there was a little girl who was being fostered. And this little girl, she was um, just under one years old, and her name was Rochelle. And I remember the, the case and, 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 and what this little child had been through. And it just, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. The bones that were broken and everything, I mean, it just breaks my heart to even think about it. And, and, and through that process, through a family member fostering that child, Rochelle, God started to work on my brother and his wife to the point where they felt God was calling them to go through the process to adopt this little girl. And I started, I started thinking about that, that process and, 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 and just how difficult that was. And then almost two years later, when she turned three, how they were able to fully have her into their home, into their Family, And I started just thinking about how when she was in that state, like just, just barely, hadn't even turned one yet, she could do absolutely nothing to become part of their family. There was nothing she could do. There was no desire or effort on her part that would have connected her with my brother and sister-in-law who would become her mommy and daddy. See, her adoption into their loving family was the result of someone else choosing to love her, to receive her, and to give her the right to be called their child. See, they had to do for her what she couldn't do for herself. She had no ability to choose them. She had no ability uh, to make herself worthy enough for them. She had no, no, no say really in that. And what you see is this incredible picture of grace that was given to this little child. And what, what, what it points to to me is it reflects what Jesus has done for you and for me. How he reached down and, and he saw us in that state. And, and, and you may not have felt helpless, but you were helpless. You, 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 you had nothing in you that would cause him to say, I need you. And yet in his love, in his grace, he did for you what you could never have done for yourself. Just like Rochelle, we call her Riri, we were helpless and hopeless until someone did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. God chose to love you, to receive you, and to give you the right to be called his child. And, 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 and as he's given that to you, I, I feel like I just need to remind us, you guys, the light is shining right now. The light's shining right now. Like, like I, I don't feel the burden right now of being like, 
hey, God, how do I turn you on right now so they see you? Like, no, like, like just as when they're hearing the message from John the Baptist, the messenger, we have the opportunity, we have the words, we have the message, and, and it's not like how do we turn it on, it's how do we see what's already lit. And, and the difficulty is we find ourselves being so blinded or distracted by the nightlights, and we're not seeing the true light. We're missing out on this. We're missing out on even the joy of being received into his family. Guys, the light's shining. And the question for you is, have you received salvation and become a child of God? Have you received that free gift? It, 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 like, it's crazy how he does all the work and he gives you the opportunity to respond to him, to make him Lord and Savior of your life. And you believe and you receive. And you make him, and, 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 and you decide, I'm going to follow you now. If you've never made that decision, I want to I encourage you to make that decision. Make that decision right now. Make that today. The other question I have for you is this. Are you a witness? Are you bearing testimony of the true light? Right? I have the opportunity. I have people around me. Am I actually bearing testimony to the true light? Or, or what is my testimony right now? What is the message? You know, people are hearing, you're a witness of something. What are they, what are they hearing is your purpose? What are, the, what are you a witness of right now? And I would say if it's competing with the light, um, let's make some changes. What an opportunity you have. And lastly, have you maybe just become blinded? Ephesians 4.18, every time I read this verse, it causes me to really think deep about where we're at. It says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Guys, there's so much that's being thrown at us. He want, the enemy wants to harden your heart because he knows if he hardens your heart, it will link itself to alienation from God. That is a dangerous place to be. Guys, some of your hearts are being hardened right now. It's tough. There's, there's a lot of negativity that's consuming your mind and, and all these things. And I'm telling you right now to course correct that because that will lead to alienation, isolation from the true light, from your heavenly father. And I'm not saying you lose your salvation. I'm saying you lose that fellowship that you need desperately right now as we walk through these times. Amen? Guys, this is so important. This is such an important message. And Jesus, you know what's so cool is Jesus didn't just come and then say, you all missed it. He gave everybody this opportunity to the point where he sent somebody to announce that he was already there. I want you to just think about how crazy that is. You and I, if we walked into a room and nobody noticed us, what do we do? We leave. And we're mad. They get what they deserve. They missed out on meeting me. I bring a lot to the table. That's how we feel. Guys, Jesus came and, 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 and he loved you so much that he allowed all these people to miss out. And, 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 and yet he still 
sent John, who's just bringing in all these people, and he's, and he's, and he's, and he's literally brought John into this world for the very purpose of pointing to the light. And so I, this through and through points to the incredible grace and love of God for you and his invitation for you to be his son or his daughter. And I just want to encourage you to embrace that, to walk with that. And if there are cheap imitations of that that you're holding on to, that you're clinging as your true source of light, like I said, they may be good things, but they're replacing the true source, remove them. He loves you so much. He is the only one that can transform your life. He is the only one that can fix what is broken, that, that can actually light up the darkness that's in your life and remove it. He's the only one that can do that. Guys, every single thing that I listed, listen, if I am uh, being fulfilled by the nightlife, listen, as, or nightlight, nightlife, that's even worse. We got bigger problems if my nightlife's getting out of control and be praying me out, okay? But those nightlights, Once again, I'm reminded how they're designed to not fulfill the light that's required in the room. You know that. How old does what you, when you get something new, how, old, how quickly does that become old? How quickly do you need something better? When you think about um, the 15-minute timer, guys, there's times where marriage is incredible and there's times that timer went off. And it's like, Oh, this is tough. This isn't so easy. I'm looking to her to be my true light. My kids, same thing. Like, your kids can be the greatest thing, and then sometimes you're like, oh. Right? It's a 15-minute timer on that. All these things, your money, whatever, the, the, your hobby, your, your job, all these things, guys, you know. I don't have to convince you of that, but my job is to remind you of the true light and to point you to him because he can heal you and our nation and everything that's going on in our culture. So let's entrust it all to him. Amen? Let's pray.